Good morning, Grace Fellowship. My name is Eric Northrup, and I'm the Independence Campus Pastor. And I just want to start and say, on behalf of all the pastors, we genuinely miss you. And we're so thankful for you and your family. And please know, during this time, we are praying for each and every one of you by name, as we are all affected by this pandemic, some more than others. And while we are absent in the body, we take comfort that we are with each other in spirit. And so church, let's praise and worship our great God in spirit and in truth with open hands as we seek to trust and give our lives to him. cannot see you are my strength though my heart is weak you won't let go you take my place on this battlefield you go before you're my sword my shield I'm not alone You fight for me You've always had You've always had My victory Is in your hands In your hands The God of heaven Is my defense will get to me the enemy is underneath your feet my God my hope yes I know you won't let go you'll fight for me you always have you always have my You fight for me, you always have, you always have my victory. It's in your hands, in your hands, the God of heaven is my You fight for me, 
for your steadfast love and thank you that in these uncertain times for us that nothing is uncertain for you thank you that this week God the tomb is still empty praise you forever our king of kings it's in Jesus name we pray amen Well, we're in a sermon series right now on trusting God. But to trust God, you have to know God. And to know God, you have to slow down and take time to study what the Bible actually says about him. You see, it's not enough. Not enough to have some secondhand facts about God that have been warmed up and passed down to you from others. If you're going to trust God. God, personally and intimately, then the facts about God have to be heated up and brought to a boiling point of reality in your life because you're spending unhurried time in his presence, through his word, seeing who he is for yourself. But sadly, knowing God today is on the decline, even among Christians. Oh, Christians who just keep saying they're too busy to read their Bible. They're too busy to have a quiet time. They're too busy to have a special time where they meet with the Lord. And as they refuse to slow down and spend time knowing him through his word, it forces them. Here's what happens. It forces them to live With a shallow, superficial knowledge of God that is like thumbing through an old photo album at a family reunion. And recognizing some photos about Aunt Gertrude and saying, oh, wasn't she a hoot? As you recall some of her antics and odd ways. But you don't really know her. Because you never spent any time. With her. That's how so many Christians are living in their relationship with God. But God wants us to experience so much more. Which is why he gave us his word and gave us his spirit and gave us direct access to his throne. Because listen to me. A superficial 
photo album, family reunion, knowledge of God will not get you through times like these that we're in right now. And some of you are finding that out. A.W. Tozer expressed it so well when he said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most portentous fact about any man or woman is not what he or she may at any given time say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Not what you know you should say, not what you think I would say, not what you might say in community group as you Zoom together, but what you in your deep heart conceive God to be like. That is the most important thing about you. Not your spiritual gift, not your Enneagram number, not your personality. What you in your deep heart conceive God to be like is the most important thing about you because it affects everything in how you see this world, how you respond to circumstances, what you feel, what you think you can do next. Listen to this final sentence. The man or woman who comes to a right belief about God is relieved Of 10,000 temporal problems. Do you understand what he's saying? I hope you do. Because I have found that to be true in my own life to some degree. Oh, how I long for it to be more true about me. But to some degree, I've found this to be true. And I hope many of you have as well. That the man or woman who begins to truly know God for who he really is. Because they're spending time in his presence, through his word, seeing who he is for themselves. Is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. Doesn't mean those problems go away. Oh no. What it means is you begin to see those problems, first of all, as temporal When you're beginning to know an eternal, infinite God and you begin to live with a bigger view about life, everything's framed up with eternity and who God is, who God is, who God is. These things become what they really are, temporal. You begin to see everything that's going on around you through the lens of who God is for you, who he really is for you. And it changes what you feel. It changes what you think. And it changes what you choose to do next and how you respond. Relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. And so today I want to help you focus on who God is by digging into some of the specific characteristics about God that set him apart from every other being in the universe. Because the more accurately we know who he is, the more effectively we can respond to all that's going on around us. 
You see, I hope you realize knowing God is far more than some kind of theological endeavor or distraction. Knowing God is essential for living the Christian life. He never designed this Christian life to be effectively lived apart from knowing him. You've got to know him. You've got to know him personally and intimately, which is why Daniel chapter 11 says, but the people who know their God. Oh, notice that right there, the pronoun. Not just God. He's their God. He's my God. I know him personally. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The reason that verse has a but is because it's said in contrast to all that was going on right then in the book of Daniel. And the times then were even more horrific than what we're facing right now. They were far worse. They were in exile in Babylon, shattered in a dark, dark, dark time. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great Exploits. Webster defines exploit as, as a heroic, noble, brilliant deed. The people of God in the midst of darkness and difficult, fearful, scary, unsettling times can still do heroic, noble, brilliant deeds. Not because of who they are, but because of who their God is. It changes what they think, how they feel. And what they can do next. See, when you start to know God personally and intimately. And the facts about God have been heated up and brought to a boiling point of reality in your life. Because you're spending time in his presence through his words. Seeing who he is for yourself. It doesn't just inform you and expand your knowledge base. It transforms you and begins to give you strength and courage and a confidence to do the next thing. To lean in, to risk, to take action, to move forward even though the future is uncertain. Even though there's a lot of questions that you have and things you don't know. You don't know the future but you know who does. And it gives you strength and courage and confidence to take the next step. And do the next thing even in the dark. Because you know who is with you and for you. So what do you need to know about God? That could change how you feel and what you think you can do next. Oh, there's so many things we could talk about. But I've narrowed it down to two things today. Here's the first. Number one. God knows how fearful we are. And so he loves us with a perfect love. Our fearfulness and timidity and how fragile we are, how easily we're frightened, skittish, is no secret to God. You don't need to hide it. He knows it and he's addressed it. He knows how fearful we are. And so he loves us with a perfect love. That was designed to change how you live 
in this scary world. I hope you realize when the Bible talks about love, when you turn to the Bible, the opposite of love is not courage. It's fear. The opposite of love is fear because love sets you free. Love settles you. When you know you're loved and spoken for, it sets you free to no longer focus on you, to no longer comb over your own life, to no longer pull back and protect and hunker down, but to move forward and to give and to risk and to take action. The opposite of love in the Bible is fear, fear, which is why, listen to me, Being convinced, you being convinced that God actually loves you is essential to living the Christian life. It's not a side issue. Essential. And it's also why our enemy Satan works so relentlessly on this to keep us unsure, to keep us on our heels, to keep us unbalanced, to keep us saying, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, God can't love me. I'm too bad. No way God loves me. Our enemy works relentlessly on this to rob us of assurance of God's love. Because the Bible tells us, listen, that perfect love casts out fear. Some of you say, I just need more courage. Or you're saying, oh, if I just knew what was going to happen next, if I just knew when this pandemic would end, if I just knew how the market was going to settle in, where this is headed, if I just knew where my job was headed, I could do better. I could be courageous. We act like courage is a standalone issue. Folks, courage is a side issue. Courage is the result of something else. When you know you are loved in the midst of whatever you're going through, you then have courage because perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. In other words, as you are filled more and more and more with the reality of God's love for you, it begins to push out fear because these two things cannot rule your heart at the same time. These two things cannot share the throne of your heart. One excludes the other. See, the love of God, the love of God leaves no space for fear. As it, because the love of God, you guys, wants to take over. It wants to saturate your heart. It doesn't want to be this thing off to the side, a little pool of God's love. The love of God wants to saturate your heart by His Spirit. As it spills over into all the ugly crevices and crannies and insecurities of your sinful, shameful past. It wants to spill down the stairwells into the basement where you still try to hide and beat yourself up over things you've done in the past. This perfect love of God was meant to set you free. Free, free from all of this. Because God says by his love, all of that no longer defines you. And it's not how I see you when I think of you. Listen to me. This is what the Bible teaches. The love of God 
says, when I think of you, that's not how I think about you at all. And I think of you often. I think of you often. And I love you. 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 He wants that love to spill into every cranny and crevice and insecurity and damp basement area that you still have your shameful past, the sin that you're still grieved over. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn with me in your Bibles and listen to this. I know that you're worshiping from home, and I'm so glad that we've been able to even have worship services. But here's what I want to say right now. If you've gotten into the habit, sitting there in your fuzzy pajamas with your favorite cup of coffee, of just not even having your Bible there with you, today is not that day. We are going to go to multiple great passages in God's Word. So I want you to pick up the remote and hit pause and go get a Bible. I want you to find your Bible and have it in your lap because, ooh, we're going to use it. And I want you to see these great passages for yourself. Welcome back with Bibles in your lap. First John, first John chapter four. You follow along as I begin reading in verse 16. First John four sixteen. not gospel of John, the little book of first John towards the end of your Bible. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God that he has for us. Do you hear how there's two things being talked about? We have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. Step one is to know it. And if you've grown up in the church, if you've been a Christian for a while, then you've heard us preach about the love of God, teach about the love of God. Maybe you've even been in counseling where someone pleaded with you to try to help you know that God loves you. That second step is to believe it. And no one can do that for you. That's on you. Some of you know it. You've heard it. You would say, yeah, I know the Bible teaches that. But here's what you do. But, but you've got yourself in a different category. You don't believe it for you. We have come to know and to believe the love God has For us. That's the only time it begins to change your life. That's when you're set free. That's when you stop pulling back, shutting down, curling up. That's when you have courage and confidence and are willing to risk and give and pour into others. When you know it and believe it for you. We've come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected in us. By what? Well, by what he just said at the end of verse 16, that God abides in us by his spirit. And one of the, one of the jobs of the spirit is to constantly cry out and assure you, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are loved, you are his, you are spoken for, you are engaged, you have a bridegroom, he's coming for you, he loves you, he redeemed you, he ransomed you, he accepts you. That's the job of the Spirit. God abides in you by this, by this God's Spirit in you. Love is perfected with us. 
so that. See, that's a purpose clause. These things are not just theological things of interest. They have implications for life. There's a reason God wants us to know that he loves us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now what he's doing is he's he's reaching into the future and saying, when you know God loves you, when you get it, when you understand what the gospel did and who Jesus is, And that your biggest problem is solved. You have a confidence for that final day of judgment. Where every one of us is going to stand before a holy God. But when you are a Christian. When you've put your trust in Jesus. When God's spirit lives in you. You will not stand there alone. The Savior Jesus Christ. Risen. Reigning. Ruling. Will be there to say. She's mine. He's mine. Enter into your... It'll have nothing to do with how well you lived the Christian life. How well you obeyed all the commands. It will have to do with you having put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Who did everything necessary to solve the sin problem between you and God. You can have confidence in that final day. And so here's the takeaway. If you can have confidence in that final day. When you stand before a holy, holy, holy God. You can have confidence in these temporal days with what other fears you may face. These other fears are put into perspective. You can have confidence then, which means you can have confidence now that he's for you and not against you. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in Love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. It's the Greek word telos, grown up, mature, robust. When the love of God, see some of you, the love of God is just a children's ditty, a little song being sung on the side of your life. You barely hear it. Many days you don't hear it at all. Listen to me. When the love of God, His love for you, begins to swell and mature and become robust and become a symphony in your life where the kettle drums begin to kick in and the strings soar and the brass comes in and the cymbals crash that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It changes how you respond to all that's going on right now. The love of God. The love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Oh, listen, as the reality of God's love for you starts to come home to you, it drives out 
fears. It rounds up those unruly fears. We've still got those fears, right? I've got them. You've got them. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing unique about you. We are fearful creatures. But when the love of God goes from a children's ditty to a symphony, it begins to round up those unruly fears and herd them towards the exit door of your heart, saying, you are no longer welcome here. You have no place here. The love of God gives an eviction notice to your fears and throws them out. See that word cast out? In verse 18 is a Greek word that is strong, almost violent, that means to toss somebody out. The love of God casts out fear. When the love of God gets a hold of you, it starts to clean house. It throws open doors It jerks open cabinets. It stomps down into the basement of your shameful past. And it climbs up into the attic of your fearful future saying, get out, get out, get out, get out. Because the love of God is here now. Perfect love casts out fear. When the love of God sets up housekeeping in your heart, it takes over every nook and cranny of your past, present, and future as he casts out fear. But here's the deal. Here's the problem. Some of you have only given the love of God a tiny spare bedroom in your heart. You've pushed the love of God down some dingy hallway. And you know, you would acknowledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there. While you've allowed fear, fear to have its feet propped up in the den of your heart and hang out with you continually. Fear goes to bed with you. Fear joins you at breakfast. Because you just continually rehearse. You just rehearse your failures and your shame and your sinful past more than you celebrate who God is and what he's done for you in his son. Perfect love casts out fear. Now I know some of you, if you were to be honest, maybe you'd say right now, okay, that's me, Brad. You're making me feel bad. I've struggled with this continually. So tell me what I should do. Let me give you two suggestions. If if that's you, if you were to be honest and say, I've given the love of God for me a spare bedroom, or I've pushed him down some dingy hallway, and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But fear and insecurity and shame and condemnation has its feet propped up in the den of your heart. You say, "What, what do I do to change that? Let me give you two things. Two things you could work on. One, saturate your mind with the truth Of God's love for you from his word. Saturate your mind with the truth of God's love for you from his word. And then pray. Pray like the apostle Paul prayed for other believers. Let me unpack the first a little more. Number one, saturate your mind with the truth about God's love for you. And you can do this by memorizing and meditating on some great passages. There's so many 
But passages like Romans 8, beginning in verse 34. Go there. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? For some of you, you know who the number one person is that condemns you? You. You do it relentlessly. You, do it, you condemn yourself relentlessly. Who is he who condemns? Now, how, how is Paul going to combat that? What is Paul going to give you to fight that? He doesn't begin to say, oh, you're not that bad. No, you're not. Stop thinking that way. No, that's not where he goes. He goes to Jesus. He goes to what we just celebrated last week. He goes to the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That's what you combat condemnation with. Look at what he does. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Christ died for that. Furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us because Christ died and because Christ rose and because Christ is ascended to the right hand of the father making intercession for us there is therefore now no condemnation for us has nothing to do with you and how good you're doing in the Christian life quote has everything to do with Jesus and what he has done and what he is right now doing for you. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Now look at me. How did Paul get persuaded of this? We all struggle with believing this. How did he become persuaded? The word in the Greek is pathos. It means to be convinced. It means to know it. It means to be assured of it. Persuaded. Unshakable. I know it. Because listen. Paul's in a category that some of you have yourself in. His past is horrific. You guys, he was a murderer. He was a blasphemer. He was persecuting the church. He was putting men and women and children in prison. He was doing horrible things. He stood there and held the coats of those that killed Stephen. That's his past. And yet he says, I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that God loves me. How did he get there? He got there the same way you can get there. God's spirit in him. That's the job of the spirit. To pour out God's love in our heart. And to say you're adopted. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're ransomed. You're accepted. And God's word. God's word. God's spirit. Direct access to his throne. God's word. God's spirit. Direct access to his throne. That's how Paul became persuaded. And trust me, I'm sure he was beat up by his flesh and by the enemy on a regular basis saying, remember what you did? Remember what you did? God can't possibly love you. Remember what you did? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, let me give you a side assignment as I say that phrase, in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Some of you who struggle, it's because you keep seeing only you and you keep coming over your life and you keep coming over your performance. You want to get more settled on this? Saturate yourself with the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4 is where it turns, all right, now marriage, now parenting, now workplace, now spiritual warfare. 1, 2, and 3 are some of the most glorious run-on sentences where Paul just begins to tell you who you are now, not because you look like that, not because you feel it, but because it's true because of Jesus. It's glorious. Just go there, and he uses the phrase, in Christ, 35 times in those three chapters. That's when you begin to have a confidence and an assurance and to know God loves you because God loves you because he loves his son and you are in Christ. He sees you in his son. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Get a hold of that. Meditate on that. Massage it into your life. Just don't give up ever trying to get this great truth down into your life. Out of the spare bedroom, out of the damp basement, and up into the den. Going to bed with you. Meeting you at the breakfast table. Dwelling in you that God loves you. You. So, saturate your mind with the truth of God's love for you from his word. Secondly, pray. Pray for God to bring this truth home to you. You realize this was one of Paul's number one prayers for believers. All of his letters, he was writing Christians who were always in terrible times suffering. Track with the Paul, prayers of Paul. You never find Paul asking God to deliver them, get them out of it. You find Paul asking God to remind them who they are in it and to remind them of his love and to grow them in his love and to change them in his love. That's one of his number one prayers because Paul knew that we would struggle to get a hold of this. Paul knew that this would not be automatic, that we would not easily and readily grasp the love of God for us. This is not going to be easy. We're not going to automatically grasp that. So he would pray it for other believers. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Listen to this prayer of Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, he's got to give it to you, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, so that you would be filled up to the fullness of God. Do you hear how he's praying? His very prayer indicates that he knows as glorious as this love is, it's beyond our grasp unless God by his spirit helps us get it and believe it. So he cried out to God that God would help believers know The love of God for them. Not spare bedroom love. Not damp basement love. 
Not way down a dingy hallway, love. The height, the depth, the width. To be grounded and rooted in love. When you are grounded and rooted in love, it relieves 10,000 temporal problems. You see life so differently It casts out fear. You have courage. You have confidence. You have love for others. You can risk. You can give. You can do the next thing. Love. Now let me suggest something that I've done many times with passages like this for, for myself. And have found great good in it. Take a prayer like Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 and following. And change the pronouns so that. You're talking about yourself. It would sound like this. And type it up, print it up, put it on the bathroom mirror, put it in the front of your Bible. Do something where you can pray this every day. Oh God, please grant me, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your spirit in my inner man. That Christ would dwell in my heart through faith. So that I being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that I would be filled up with the knowledge of God. And you just pray it, pray it, pray it, pray it, pray it. And say, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go until you give me this. I'm not going to let go until you begin to grow this. I want you to take this truth off the back burner of my life and bring it onto the front burner and heat it up and bring it to a boil of reality that I no longer see. Yeah, I know God loves some people that I know you love me. Me. Because of Jesus Christ. God knows how fearful we are. And so he loves you with a perfect, life-changing, robust, symphony love that should drown out all your fears. Number two, what else do we need to know about God? Number two, he knows how helpless we are. And so he gave us his son to save us and to sustain us everything we need can be found in Jesus Christ. Everything. Saving grace and sustaining grace. His saving grace that solves our biggest problem in paying for our sins so that we can have a right relationship with God. But then he's still not done. It's through Jesus that we get sustaining everyday grace to live the Christian life in really, really scary times. The book of Hebrews again shows us both saving grace and sustaining grace. Go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, and let me show you the saving grace of Jesus. Hebrews 7, 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety. Some of your translations, the ESV and others, says a guarantee. It's a guarantee that you can be saved because of Jesus, not because of you. By so much more, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. When you come to Jesus with your sin... And say, please 
save me, forgive me, come into my life, he does. And he does not leave and he does not change. And it never needs to be done again. He's done everything we need. He's able to save to the uttermost. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, you're not outside the reach of his saving grace. Jesus saves us, and then he's not done. Because of his death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God, then he continues to give us what we need right now in this life. Sustaining, enabling grace. Sustaining and enabling grace. Because he right now gives us as believers, sons and daughters, unlimited access To God's throne where you find mercy and grace. Unlimited access to mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what you should receive. Grace is being given something you don't deserve. You've got unlimited access to mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Because Jesus Christ is your great high priest that intercedes for you day and night. You can come boldly. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at it. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize. He took on flesh. He lived in this scary, dark world. But we have one who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. Oh, we could spend the next hour unpacking that one verse, verse 16. That you can come. You can come boldly. And when you get there, it's a throne of grace. Not judgment, not condemnation, not wrath. It's a throne of grace now for you. And there's a special, special kind of grace that you can find when you get there. Unlimited access to it never ends, never runs out. You never reach your limit of being able to go and get help. Oh, I keep getting emails from my cable provider, Cincinnati Bell. And I'm grateful. I haven't taken advantage of any of it, but I'm grateful. They're telling me in emails that because of the times we're in, That they're going to give me access now to channels that are not rightfully mine. Channels that I have not paid for. Channels that I should not have access to. I've got HBO now. I've got AMC. I've got Showtime. I've got the Disney Channel and more. And as grateful as I might be, listen to me. I expect when we get through this time, that will cease. I will not continue to have that access. Folks, because of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father, who now pleads for us and intercedes for us and stands for us, we have unlimited access to grace and mercy, and it will never end. It is yours now, and it will be yours until he takes you home. Hallelujah. 
Jesus gives us access to sustaining grace and mercy. In the final minutes, I want to point out something worth noting. In that last verse of Hebrews 4, verse 16, that last phrase is literally in the Greek, grace for a well-timed help. Grace for a well-timed help. Let me ask you, what comes to your mind when you think of a well-timed help? Do you think of Superman swooping in with a cape to rescue you from the trial, from the trouble, from the suffering? If we were honest, we would say, yeah, yeah, perfect timing, God. God swoops in by his grace and takes me out of the trial, out of the trouble, out of the suffering. And don't hear me saying God can't do that. Don't hear me saying God has never done that. Do hear me saying, when you look at the scriptures, that is the exception. Grace with a cape on it that helps you escape the trouble is the exception. So then what does grace for a well-timed help look like? Well, often when you're wanting to dig into God's word, it's helpful to say, where else is that same word used? And here's what's interesting. That Greek word that's used grace for a well-timed help in Hebrews 4.16. That same word is used in Acts. In Acts chapter 27, verse 17. Where it gets translated ropes or cables. That same word is translated rope. Or cable. In in Acts chapter 27 verse 17. Paul and Dr. Luke are on their way to Rome. To Italy. Paul has appealed to Caesar and said I want want to come before Caesar. The, The Jews keep trying to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. So he's on this ship on his way to Rome with Dr. Luke. And they hit a horrific storm. Terrifying for days. It is tearing the ship apart. The ship is breaking up. From the storm and the waves. And what sailors would do in those days. Is they would pass ropes or cables. Down one side of the ship. Under it and up over the other side. And winch it. To try to hold that ship together. Like a net. Cables and ropes. To hold that ship together. So it does not break into pieces. In the storm. Listen to me. Grace for a well-timed help, more than a cape with escape, is most often the sovereign cables and cords of God's grace and love and power that wrap around you in the storm, in the midst of the wind and the waves, and holds you together until it passes. That's God's sustaining grace in the midst of the storm. So often when we keep expecting the Superman version with the cape and the escape, then it leads to disappointment with God because we say, God, you're not fulfilling your promises. God, you're not giving me grace. I am convinced There's so many times when Christians say, I'm not getting grace, I'm not getting grace. It's because we keep looking for and expecting it to be the Superman with a cape escape grace. When more often, 
God is giving us grace and he is sustaining us and he is sifting us and refining us and making us more like his son. The storm is not to destroy you and shatter you. The storm is to refine you and grow you and change you and make you more like his son. You're not alone. You've not been abandoned. The sovereign cords of God's grace and love and power are wrapped around you in the storm. And this is a theme that you see all through scripture that God does not usually move us out of it, but he moves in to work and refine us. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 66, verse 10 to 12, for you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Notice, through the fire, not out of it. Through the water, not out of it. And with his cords of grace and love and power wrapped around us, he will bring us out to rich fulfillment. We grow. We learn more of him. We cry out in desperation. His word becomes alive to us. We go to the throne of grace in a way that we were not doing before. We recognize our weakness and dependence on him in a way that we always should have before, but now we do. And so often when you go through a storm like what we're in now, and you go through it with the cords of God's sovereign grace and love and power wrapped around you, and you have an increasing awareness of his love for you, you are never the same. I am convinced when we get through this pandemic, and we will, we will, by God's grace, there are going to be people who will look back at 2020 and say, oh my goodness, that's when God saved me. That's when I finally cried out to him for grace and mercy. And I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Everything I was trusting in and depending on and leaning on has been shaken and taken. Oh God, I need you. Save me. There's going to be people with testimonies of how God saved them in this storm. And Christians, there's going to be so many Christians who will say, oh my goodness, it was during 2020 that for the first time I began to set aside unhurried time with God. To read my Bible for myself. Not warmed up, secondhand, passed down to me from others. But spending time with God through his words, seeing who he is for myself. Oh my goodness. I formed a new habit. I began to go to the throne of grace and experience it. And I will never be the same. I am more grounded and rooted in him because of that storm. Oh, if you don't know Jesus, come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. We will get through this storm. And what I don't want to happen is you, we get through it and you just go back to what you were doing before. Don't do it. 
God in his mercy is sifting us and shaking us and showing us that as human beings, we desperately need him. Come to faith in Christ now. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Say, yes, Lord Jesus. And he'll solve your biggest problem. And then he'll be your great high priest that intercedes for you and gives you unlimited access to grace and mercy for the rest of your days. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for who you are in the midst of the storm. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus that does not just solve our sin problem, but gives us unlimited access to what we need most, grace and mercy. Oh God, how we thank you for your cords of sovereign grace and power and love that are wrapped around us in this storm. Hold us together. Use us for your glory. Convince us of your love that we might be set free to risk and to lean in and to do the next thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. strong and perfect a great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and pleads for me my name is graven on his hands my name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he stands tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. So behold him there, behold him there, the reason there, my perfect spot. Righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior my God, with Christ my Savior and my God, from with Himself.
this week, let us remember that our biggest problem has already been solved. That Jesus, our sinless Savior, took our place. It's been nailed to the cross, and that can never be taken away.